next miracle we will be looking at in these moments in our miracles and parables series is Jesus' miracle of healing a man who was lowered through a roof to be placed in front of Jesus when he was teaching. This is found in Luke 5, and you can either follow on the overhead screen or turn in your own Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 5. I'm beginning to read at verse 17. And it came about one day that he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from, and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And behold, some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in to set him down in front of him. And not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher right in the center in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise. Take up your stretcher and go home. And at once he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And they were all seized with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. This miracle took place in Jesus' home, away from home, Capernaum. Jesus also spent beloved and restful times in the village of Bethany, but it was either Bethany or Capernaum where Jesus was most often ministering. And this was the time in Capernaum. And at the time of this miracle that Jesus performed in Capernaum, there was a paradox within the persons that he was greeting and standing and teaching before and doing miracles before. There was a paradox. On the one hand, there was a rising crescendoing among some in their belief and in their faith in Jesus to be the promised Messiah. But right alongside of that increase in belief, there was a, also a ramped up opposition to Jesus as being the Messiah. Out of jealousy and fear and suspicion and selfishness, there were those that were ramping up their opposition to the Lord Jesus right at the same time while others were becoming more inclined to believe in him. Although it was one miracle of raising a paralytic man off of a stretcher to walk home, I would like to point out in some manner there were three miracles within this one miracle. There was a miracle of perception. There was a miracle of pardon, and there was a miracle of power. I'd like to take up these three miracles within the miracle one by one. 
the miracle of perception, then the miracle of pardon, and then the miracle of power. So we begin with the miracle of perception. As the account is relayed to us in Scripture, at the first part of the account, the friends of the paralyzed man are at the forefront of the report. The Lord Jesus really admired their great faith. And the Lord equally admired the great faith of the paralyzed man as well. And I raise the question, and I think we all know the answer. I wonder if the risen Christ, the glorified Christ, who's seated at the Father's right hand in heaven now, is looking down on our assembly, looking for great faith in him. He's looking for us to have a great faith in him, whatever we're facing at this hour, whatever we'll face this week. Will he see a great faith, even as Jesus saw a great faith in the friends who brought the man on the stretcher, and even as Jesus saw the great faith of the paralyzed man who was upon the stretcher? Jesus wants to see great faith. And the ways that we will best understand and demonstrate a great faith in Christ is through obstacles. It was the obstacles which were before the friends that revealed their great faith in Jesus that day. It was the obstacles which the paralyzed man had as very real in his life that day that revealed his great faith in Jesus Christ. And so it is that this week, It will be the obstacles in my life and the obstacles in your lives which will reveal a great faith that we have in Jesus, to see us through them, to see us over them. Do not be uh, sad about obstacles. Obstacles can reveal a great faith in a greater God. Obstacles are invitations for us to pray. If we didn't have obstacles, we would maybe be less inclined to pray, less inclined to depend on the Lord. But obstacles invite us to pray. So whatever the obstacle is that you're thinking of as I'm preaching, whatever it is, see it this morning as an invitation from Christ to you to trust him, to pray about it, to leave it with him, to move in the ways he tells you to move. Obstacles are a good thing. Now let's consider the obstacles that those men that carried the paralytic and that the paralytic himself faced in the, in the uh, setting of this miracle. What were the obstacles? Well, there were lots. There was standing room only in the upper room where Jesus was teaching. Two, they had to go up on a roof with a paralyzed man on a stretcher to get any access to the Lord's full room. Third obstacle, there were plenty of persons who I am sure unknowingly and unintentionally were blocking the man getting to Jesus. And there was the obstacle that Jesus was teaching. At that particular juncture, Jesus was teaching. He wasn't calling for persons to come to him to be healed. He was teaching. Obstacle, 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 obstacle. But bless the men who brought their friend. Bless their great faith in Jesus. Bless the paralyzed man himself for his great faith in Jesus. And so, 
What did he see? What did Jesus see when, when he saw the, the very unusual sight of the sunlight coming in through the roof and men being on top of the roof holding ropes and slowly, carefully, in even measure, lowering a paralyzed man on a stretcher with ropes so that he wouldn't tip or fall off the stretcher and it coming down through the roof and being placed with love and faith in front of Jesus. What, what kind of faith did Jesus see? What kind of faith did he commend? Well, first of all, he saw working faith. Look at verse 18 again, would you? And behold, some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. Jesus saw men who put feet and hands and their back into their faith. Jesus saw working faith, and he still commends to you and me working faith. The verb tense here in the Greek when it says they were trying was the imperfect tense of the Greek verb, which means that they were these able-bodied Men, friends of faith, tried with great effort and over a period of time to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. That makes sense. I mean, you don't do operations through the roof by just snapping your fingers. And you don't do it quickly either. You had to rip over those uh, ceiling tiles and break a hole in the roof and have it big enough for the stretcher and find the ropes. Jesus saw working faith. Will he see working faith in my life? And will he see working faith in your lives? But it wasn't just working faith that the Lord Jesus saw in that scene. He saw persistent faith. He saw working faith and he saw persistent faith. Verse 19, and not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher right in the center, in the front of Jesus. Jesus saw this unfolding and he saw persistent faith in the men lowering the ropes and persistent faith in the paralyzed man himself, faith in him, Jesus. <laughs> These men were persistent. I mean, they carried the man. They tried to enter the house in the conventional ways. They looked for ways, uh, more than one, to get their friend to the Lord. They went up on the roof. They dug a sizable hole big enough for the stretcher through the roof. They found ropes somewhere. And they slowly, evenly, lowered the stretcher with the man on it into the room, but not to anywhere in the room, right in the center front of the room where the Lord Jesus was teaching. Persistent faith. There was no quitting. There was no, well, this, this maneuver is a little too risky. This maneuver is a little too hard. They didn't quit for a lunch break. They didn't find reasons they couldn't do it. They found reasons how they could do it. That's the kind of faith that the Lord is looking for in our lives, persistent faith, faith that works, but faith that persists in its work. And of course, 
in their efforts to get their friend in front of Jesus, they themselves had to put up with some personal pain for some ultimate gain. They had to care more about their friend who couldn't walk than about themselves who could have gone home for lunch. They cared more about their friend who couldn't walk than about themselves who could have walked away. It's the same for us. When it comes to sharing our faith that the song Beth sang calls us to people need the Lord and how will they hear about the Lord unless we who know the Lord tell them about the Lord. For that kind of ministry of sharing our faith, sharing the gospel, witnessing Christ, to persist and to work hard, even when we are inconvenienced or even when it costs us, for that kind of ministry to persist, we must see a heaven and hell urgency in people's needs. These friends, you get a sense that these friends knew the urgency was that if this paralyzed friend who was on the stretcher was ever going to walk, it was because he would get before Jesus with their help that day. Friends, if we are going to persist not to quit in sharing the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners who believe in him, we are going to have to have a sense of urgency just like the paralytic's friends did on his behalf. You see, persistence in sharing Christ dies at the hands of laziness. Persistence in sharing the gospel dies in the hands of indifference. Persistence at sharing the good news of salvation dies in the hands of impatience. And it dies, persistence in sharing our faith dies with our self-absorption. Jesus saw working faith, and he saw persistent faith, but he saw a third kind of faith in the men lowering the stretcher and in the man upon the stretcher. Jesus saw succeeding faith. He saw succeeding faith, faith that succeeded in its objectives. What was Jesus' reaction when this dangerous tenuous, unorthodox balancing act of putting a stretcher through a roof on ropes? What was Jesus' reaction when the paralyzed man was lowered safely into place right in front of the Lord Jesus? What was Jesus' reaction? Verses 20 to 26 tell us. And seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and take up your stretcher and go home. And at once 
he rose up before them and took up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And they were, they were all seized with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. How did Jesus react and respond to the working, persisting, successful faith that he observed in those men that day? He responded by rewarding that faith. And the Lord went so far as to forgive the paralyzed gentleman his sins. And, and to coin a word, and to unparalyze the man's body parts that were once paralyzed. <laughs> the man who was lowered into the room leaped out of the room. In all this, we had better not miss the fact that Jesus saw that the paralyzed man's greatest need was not a body which wouldn't work, but a heart which wasn't forgiven. Jesus knew that the man's greatest need was to be forgiven of his sins. In that wonderful day, our Lord Jesus wasn't only x-raying the hearts of the friends that brought the paralytic and the heart of the paralytic. Jesus wasn't just x-raying those men's hearts. He, Jesus was also sifting through the thoughts of the Pharisees. Jesus knew their thoughts. And then Jesus evaluated their thoughts. Verses 21 to 24 again. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and take up your stretcher and go home. Since only God can forgive sins, and since the Pharisees that day did not view Jesus Christ to be God, they believed that the Lord blasphemed by audibly stating he was forgiving the paralytic man's sins. Now, all of what I've just shared is the first part of the miracle, the miracle of perception. Now I want to take us on to the second miracle within the miracle, the miracle of pardon. The miracle of pardon has four dimensions to it. The miracle of pardon. Number one, eternal pardon has to be from God. Eternal pardon for the paralytic had to be from God. His, his friends with faith couldn't pardon the paralytic's sins. And no one's faith can pardon any of our sins either. Pardon for sins is from God as we are found in Christ by faith. The second thing, the second dimension is that eternal pardon is complete. It was complete. All of the paralyzed 
healed paralyzed man's sins were pardoned. All his past sins, all his sins of that moment, all of his sins future until he died, all the whole package of sins were pardoned by Jesus. When Jesus said to him, your sins have been forgiven, so it is with you. If you're saved, all of your sins in the past, all of your sins in the present, and all of your sins in the future are pardoned in Christ. That is a miracle of love. That is a miracle of grace. That is a miracle of the cross. And so we ought to live in the security to know that we are forgiven. And then as we do sin and we break fellowship with God in sin, that we hurriedly confess it and admit it to him and ask for the forgiveness that he's purchased for us on the cross already. But eternal pardon in the first place was from God for the paralytic, and it's from God for each of us. Second, eternal pardon for the paralytic was complete. None of the paralytic sins were beyond pardoning, and none of our sins as we run to Christ in faith are beyond pardoning either. Christ's pardon for us as believers in him is a complete pardon. Third, eternal pardon is here and now. It was the day of this miracle. Eternal pardon was here and now for the healed man there in the room full of people listening to Jesus. It had no stages to it. It had no delay to it. He didn't have to go have some ceremonial washing according to the Jewish faith. He didn't have to offer some sacrifice prescribed by the Old Testament. It was a complete here and now pardon for the paralytic. And so it is with us. Jesus' pardon for us is complete. It's here, it's now, if you're saved. Eternal pardon in the fourth place was permanent for the paralytic. It says in verse 20, your sins are forgiven you. Again, the Greek tense of the verb here is uh, the perfect tense, which means completed action with enduring results. Jesus said to the paralytic that he healed, your sins are forgiven at this point in time and going forward until you die. They're all forgiven. And so it is with us. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And so the miracle of pardon then and now, eternal pardon has to be from God. Eternal pardon is complete. Eternal pardon is here and now. And eternal pardon is permanent, praise God. The third miracle within the miracle is the miracle of power. And the miracle of power in this miracle has two aspects to it. I want to show you power that proves, and I want to show you power that pictures. Power that proves and power that pictures. Let's start with the power that proves. The Pharisees had secretly thought at that time of the miracle that Jesus was blaspheming. Jesus, of course, knew that, so he asked them an interesting question in verse 23. Jesus was a wonderful asker of questions. And he asked them a question in verse 23. He said, which is easier to say? Your sins have been forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Well, which is easier to say? 
<laughs> it's got to be your sins are forgiven you because that's an invisible transaction. To say someone's sins are forgiven them is an invisible transaction. Ah, but to say to a paralyzed man who hadn't walked and was carried in on a stretcher on ropes to come to Jesus, to say to him, your sins are forgiven you, arise and walk. That's visible. And Jesus said the harder thing, rise and walk because your sins are forgiven you. And the man who couldn't move a muscle while on the stretcher <laughs> with strengthened feet, strengthened ankles, strengthened legs, strengthened hip, back, arms, stood up from the stretcher in front of the group picked up the stretcher he had been lying on for who knows how long and took it home. Proving that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. Proving that the Lord Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sins. And so as those scribes and Pharisees and the group assembled in the upper room hearing Jesus teach saw the miracle of a man lowered into the room, paralyzed, leaping out of the room, fully ambulatory, they had to come to grips with the fact that Jesus Christ was God and Jesus Christ is still God. Dr. Charles Ryrie comments with this, and I quote, so in order to prove that the Lord could do the more difficult thing, that is forgive sins and thus prove he was God, he did the easier and the more verifiable thing. He healed the man, end of quote. And yes, as that healed man walked home, the Pharisees and all the other witnesses should have been sure of who dealt with the paralytic. It was the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. So that's what the miracle's power proves. What about the miracle powers? What does it picture? What does it Illustrate What does it tell us something about? Well, I think it tells us in the first place about our salvation from sin in Jesus Christ. This wonderful healing miracle tells us that just as the paralyzed man was helpless before he was healed, we are helpless before we are saved by Jesus Christ. We can't raise a finger to do anything to merit God's forgiveness of our sins. We are just as helpless before Christ saves us as the paralyzed man was helpless to heal himself on a stretcher. The other thing it pictures is that the man who was paralyzed on the stretcher needed his friends. The lost that we will meet this week, they need someone to get them to Jesus. You may not have to lower the lost person you're going to meet tomorrow morning through the ceiling of this roof, but if you did, the deacons will understand. 
But people need to get to Jesus, and they need our help to get to Jesus. Just like the paralyzed man on the stretcher needed friends with strong arms and backs to lower him through a roof to get to Jesus, people we will meet this week and next week and the week after that if Christ doesn't come back for us first need our help to get to Jesus. And in that whole wonderful situation and scene, everyone involved exhibited total dependence on God to save. Can you imagine being paralyzed? You couldn't put your hand out to break your fall. You couldn't put your leg out to break your fall. And your friend says, we're going to lower you through the roof. We're going to tie ropes around your stretcher. We're going to lower you through the roof. Took faith on the paralytics part too, didn't it? took faith on the friends that lowered him through the roof, and it took faith in Jesus on the man that couldn't walk. Everybody in that scene had to exhibit their own measure of total dependence on God to save, and so must we. There's not a person in the sound of my voice who can have a ministry this week without having full and total dependence on God, a ministry that God will bless. Because our battles may not involve paralysis and full rooms and roofs and ropes and stretchers, but our challenges, our obstacles are nonetheless needing a full and complete dependence upon God because our battles, whatever they are, are not merely worldly battles. Our battles are of a spiritual nature. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, for though we walk in the flesh, We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what you're contending with this afternoon and this week. Skipping down in that 2 Corinthians 10 chapter to verse 17. But he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. What do you think happened when the men worked into all that efforts to get their, their friend tied with ropes to his stretcher? They opened the roof. They lower him down. Jesus says, rise and walk and go home. And he does. <laughs> they boasted in the Lord. Properly, They boasted in the Lord. And whatever I face, whatever you face, whatever the obstacle is that we face, put your faith firmly in a roof-busting Christ, a stretcher-lowering Christ, an unparalyzing-the-body Christ, because great obstacles are our friends because they let us know whether we have great faith in Jesus or little faith in Jesus. If you and I didn't have obstacles, we wouldn't really know the size of our faith in Jesus. But when we have an obstacle, we can figure out pretty easily the amount of our faith in Jesus. Well, the power of the miracle pictures the salvation moment 
but it also pictures the Christian life that comes out of a conversion moment. When we're saved, we begin a new life in Christ. We have a Christian life. And there are parts of this miracle that also picture what a Christian life should be like. For instance, the new life for the healed, paralyzed man was immediate. Immediate. The paralysis did not leave the man gradually when Jesus healed him. He didn't crawl for a while and then limp for a while and then walk for a while. No, immediately he walked, carrying his own stretcher even. And immediately, he fully obeyed Jesus, and he walked home. The genuinely converted person, the true born-again Christian, will demonstrate immediate changes in his or her life. What he used to love, he in some cases will hate. What he used to hate, in some cases he will love. He'll have a new way of looking at circumstances and suffering and prosperity and wealth and gifts and family. The Christian life is to be like the life of that healed, paralyzed man, a new life, a beautiful life, a strikingly beautiful life, a different life immediately. Then also, when the Lord saves a person, and begins to give that person a new spiritual life, the Lord changes that person. That person sheds a terminal life in favor of receiving an eternal life, which is Christ's life. For the Christian who is born again, the life we now live is Jesus Christ's life expressed through the Spirit of God controlling us, and it's different. It's changed. It's supernatural. It's wonderful. The truly saved person doesn't blend in like a chameleon with all the lost at where he works or she works. Doesn't look just like everybody on the street who's not yet a a Christian. The true Christian stands out just like a healed paralytic stood out when he walked away from the room carrying his stretcher. This is a picture of the normal Christian life. People notice that Jesus has done a work in the life. We could say that this wonderful miracle showcases great faith that was there that day in a great God. I don't pretend to know your obstacles. I don't know what your obstacle is this afternoon or tomorrow or this week or this month. I don't know, but the Lord does. And I do know that whatever your obstacle is, you have the opportunity to trust Jesus Christ to deal with it. Just like the men carrying the paralytic had a choice, facing all the obstacles they faced, they had a choice to trust God to get the man to Christ or to just walk away and give up. Whatever obstacle you and I face, we have a choice this week. Are we going to give up, whine and complain, or are we going to take it to Jesus in prayer? 
Or are we going to say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I trust you to do the right thing in this obstacle. The four men that lowered the man to Jesus went away with no disappointment that afternoon. And the man who could never walk, who walked away carrying his own stretcher, his faith was rewarded. May we be a people, a congregation, with great faith in God that is evidenced and shown in the great obstacles we all face. He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power displayed in our Savior's heart and hands and through his mouth that he could command the paralyzed to be ambulatory, to stand and walk and go home, proving the Lord Jesus to be God. Oh, Lord, thank you that obstacles that day revealed great faith in Christ. May the obstacles that we all face this week reveal the same in us. Great faith in Jesus Christ. For we pray this in his name together. Amen.